Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bull Take Scouting Podcast. Today, we're going to be recapping the winners and the losers in terms of draft stock and our grades of the NFL scouting combine that took place last week. But first, there's been so much quarterback movement over the last couple of days in the NFL. Really wild stuff. We have Rodgers staying in Green Bay on what's rumored to be a massive contract. Russell Wilson is on his way to Denver with Drew Locke going the other way. And finally, we got Carson Wentz getting another chance as an NFL starter, this time in Washington. Alex, what are some of your thoughts on on these trades and potential implications on draft strategies for these teams? Uh, So, I mean, the Packers, first of all, really quickly, you know, they kept Rodgers. I think it was kind of tending towards that direction after, you know, we started to hear some things that Rodgers kind of okay with what was going on with Green Bay. I mean, it kind of puts that Jordan Love pick just – to useless, you know, that pick's pretty much useless now um, for the Packers. So a wasted first round pick there. Um, but I think it really comes down to uh, Washington, first of all, for me, because they got in a quarterback who knows how once will play. I think he might not be the quarterback of the long-term future, but he could be the quarterback of the next few years. But I think it really just opens up Washington's opportunities to take maybe a wide receiver, maybe bolster that offensive line. Um, at pick 11 because they did keep uh, their first round pick. Yeah, I think for the Colts, this is obviously admitting that the Wentz trade didn't work out. And I think they've dug themselves in a real hole there because it's really a championship level roster if you have the right quarterback, but they're just struggling to find that guy. So I'm curious to see what direction they go in. I I mean, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo. We've heard some links to, to Jordan Love, which would be kind of an odd option given how championship ready I think their roster is but as you said Washington puts themselves in a position where they don't need to go quarterback but you know is I don't I don't know about giving up that draft capital and paying that contract for Carson Wentz they're going to be paying him the full 21 million a year average over the next three years so I really don't know if that was the right move for Washington yeah that that trade really confused me I know they were going after quarterbacks I'm sure they were talking to the Packers about Aaron Rodgers we know they offered Seattle three first-round picks mm-hmm. for Russell, and I guess Seattle wanted to move him out of the conference and trade him to the AFC. Uh, I mean, they got a really good haul in return from Denver. Um, but, yeah, I'm confused why they they have to pay Wentz a lot of money. Uh, Washington does over the next three years, and I just don't think uh, Wentz is going to be that guy for them. Let's talk about the Seahawks really quickly. Oh, yeah. Do you think they go QB at nine, or, or do you think, you know, maybe they just build up that team and – prepare to drop a QB in and, you know, maybe next year or the year after. Oh, it's tough to tell because what's going on with Pete Carroll and all this, we, we know how old Pete Carroll is. You know, I think that if he knew Russell Wilson was going to leave, he might, he might've retired. He doesn't want to go through a rebuild when he's that old, I would assume. And now he's in a position where if they pick a quarterback, he would have to do that. And there might not really be any other options anyway. So I, my tendency is to lean towards yes, but at the same time, what if Carroll does say, you know, give me someone more proven, someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, let me try to make a, a, one last run in my career right now. They use the ninth pick on a pass rusher. You know, maybe they end Kayvon Thibodeau's hypothetical slide. We've seen that they're not scared to take guys with character concerns, and that's where it seems to be trending with uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. And we'll get to that in a second. But it's definitely an, an interesting situation, and they, they could potentially be – the first team to take a quarterback off the board if they choose to do so. Yeah, I, 
I'm kind of split on if they take a quarterback mm-hmm. or not. And you mentioned Pete Carroll's age. My thought is, you know, there was some talk about Pete Carroll maybe moving on or Seattle maybe moving on from Pete Carroll uh, this offseason. Obviously, that's not happening. He's still the, the head coach. But like you said, I think if he knew that Russell was going to be traded, uh, you know, two months ago, he would have said, you know what, you guys can trade Russell. I'm going to retire, you know, start your new – start your rebuild, start your new thing there. Um, obviously, it's too late for him to retire now. He's in it. Um, but I would not be shocked to see him maybe retire next year, see the Seahawks hold off on a quarterback this year for, you know, let the new head coach, which would hypothetically be next year, pick the quarterback. And also, like we've said many times now, next year's quarterback class has a lot more potential um, than this one does. Yeah, that, it, it's definitely a possibility. And I think now we can address what I alluded to with Thibodeau, who I think if they don't go quarterback really could be in play with that pick if he falls there. And I don't know about you, but first of all, we both had Thibodeau really highly rated, as did everyone coming into the season. I watched the tape from this season. I thought the narrative of, you know, he didn't play well, he took plays off, was really overblown. I, I still saw so many of the traits that made me value him really highly as a prospect. And then there was just a lot of negative buzz around him. And it took me a while to really accept that. At first, I was like, you know, or maybe we're just tearing down a guy that the media and the public are sick of hearing at the top of this draft class the last few years, and people are picking holes. But then you started to hear things like a reliable reporter, Tony Pauline, saying that people in the Oregon organization are, are questioning his effort on the field, his desire to be great, his work ethic, saying he might put his brand above football. And then what really did me in on, on Thibodeau and making me really concerned about the off-field stuff and the attitude stuff is him shortening his combine workout. And I think that's a huge red flag for NFL teams. He withdrew from his workout early saying that the day had been really long. I mean, it's, it's a long day for everyone there that nobody else does that. This is a, this is your job interview for the NFL. You want to show NFL teams that you can do this every day in the NFL is going to be long. So, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be moving down my draft board further than he should based off his traits, because I don't think this is just buzz. I think we're seeing something tangible here with that decision. And I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing was happening in NFL draft rooms. Yeah, I think both of us were holding off as long as we could on mm-hmm. uh, moving Thibodeau down our board. I know both of us have had him as our, our best player uh, for a while now, but I agree with you. He has to move down your board. And, you know, in reality, all of these things, in theory, could be overblown. And, you know, shortening your combine workout in a, in a vacuum isn't necessarily a bad thing. We see players do this all the time. Evan Neal didn't even work out at all. Um, and he's, you know, still in contention to be the top pick in the draft. So shortening, you know, your combine, combine workout by itself, not a bad thing. But the way he did it, like you said, was the concerning thing, along with all the other red flags that have come up. I do feel like the media is a little bit tired of hearing his name. He, he's been the number one prospect in his, you know, class, whether it was recruiting class, college class, draft class since sophomore year of high school. I mean, his name has been in the media for forever. And, you know, basically in high school, people were saying that he was going to be the number one pick in the 2022 NFL draft. That's how good and how talented Kayvon Thibodeau was in high school. So, again, I think that some of the things, the brand thing, you know what? Go ahead, build your brand. We see his talent on the field. He had some ankle injuries this year that, you know, could have been reason for some of his declining play. 
it's just going to be hard to see. Uh, or it's going to be interesting to see how teams value him. Obviously, we don't have the benefit of doing interviews with him, doing all this extra stuff that teams um, are able to do. But it'll just be interesting to see what happens with Thibodeau and, you know, what the buzz is, you know, a month from now. I, th I think what hurts him is how strong this defensive end class is. If they've got a guy who's really close to him in talent, they're going to take the guy who's cleaner, who's safer, who's a more solid character off the field. And uh, one guy who's, who NFL teams seem to classify as that type of prospect who they, they might push above Thibodeau is Trevon Walker. And if you told me a couple months ago that he was he's going to be projected to go ahead of Thibodeau, I don't even know what I would have done. To me, I'm still really hesitant on on seeing a team take him that high because I, I think that there's so much projection involved with Walker. I don't really see Bend around the edge. He's going to have to become a lot more refined with his hand use. I, I know the athleticism for that size is absolutely elite, but I don't know how much it translates to being a full-time edge rusher and actually getting to the quarterback on a consistent basis. And I really think the handwork needs to improve. Uh, from there on, but he's definitely a big winner of this combine because I mean, those numbers were absolutely ridiculous. And another player on that defensive line from Georgia who, who tested through the roof was Jordan Davis. And now he's a guy who I'm going to be moving up my grade on because it, it wasn't just, oh, he ran a four, seven, eight. He had a 10, three broad, which are insane numbers, but he did that dropping 20 pounds, which showed, you know, maybe he can play at this new weight be more effective against the rush, be better conditioned to stay on the field on third down. And now I'm, I won't be moving him as far up as, as teams will have him go. I think he's going to go in the top 20 and I'm not even sure I'll have a first round grade on him because once again, a lot of projection involved. He was a two down run stuffer essentially in college, but it's definitely encouraging to see that he dropped the weight and performed that well athletically. Yeah. He'll probably end up with a, a late first round grade from me. Uh, definitely a little bit higher on him than you are, but again, lower than consensus than uh, most NFL teams. And, uh, you know, I, I hear everyone talk about how they really didn't see much pass rush value from him at all at Georgia. There were plays where I saw him chase down the quarterback, where I saw him chase down the running back. Obviously, they did take him off, uh, off the field on a lot of third downs, a lot of passing downs, but you mentioned he dropped the weight. I'm hoping that will uh, allow his conditioning to be better. He clearly has a great work ethic. I mean, you don't drop 20, you, yeah. you know, he's yeah. he's a big man. And to be able to move like he did, that takes a lot of work. To be able to drop 20 pounds, that also takes a lot of work. So, I mean, I see the work ethic. Um, and like you said, he's he's a freak. He's a freak. I don't care. We'll talk about, you know, the, the turf in a little bit. The turf might have made everyone run a little bit faster. So what? Maybe he ran a, a you know, a 4.85. Who cares? That's still insane for how big of a man he is. And the turf doesn't change, you know, his explosiveness and his broad jump, his vertical jump. He is a freak athlete. Um, I think you you do see uh, that he potentially has pass rush value. And if he can, you know, get his conditioning up there and be on the field, you know, three downs for all three downs, he could be a scary player at the NFL level. I do agree. It takes some projection. He won't be a guy that can play 80 plays a game, um, but I definitely think he can be a difference maker. I think another thing to consider that I might not have taken into account enough when I initially scouted him and put an unofficial grade on him is that, you know, part of the reason they're taking him off the field on third down is not just because, you know, maybe he wasn't conditioned enough. Maybe he wasn't effective enough as a pass rusher. They had Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter there. I mean, Devontae Wyatt's going to go first round. He's a, a terrific defensive tackle prospect and a really good pass rusher. 
And then Jalen Carter might have been the best defensive lineman on that line, and he's not eligible for the draft until next year, which is why a lot of people might not have heard his name, but he's a great prospect in his own right. So it might it might have been just as much, maybe even more about the other options to rush the passer on third down than Jordan Davis's ability himself. Yeah, that's a great point. They probably didn't need him to rush the passer, so why make him? Mm-hmm. Like, put him on the field where he's best, and he's best at stuffing the run, and keep him fresh for that. Um, I think, you know, we can move on. Uh, now to another one of their Georgia teammates, Lewis Seen, um, and he had a really great workout. He ran a, a fast 40. I think that was faster than most people expected from him, a 4-3-7. And he reportedly had really good interviews, and his name's being thrown around the, the late round one conversation, and he'll definitely be a top 50 pick. Yeah, I think it, it really goes to show what that team, that program has built at Georgia. I heard essentially all their players – uh, had really good interviews, They're really driven guys, good work ethic, good character, good football intelligence, and seen f- checks all the boxes, honestly, as a prospect. I don't think he's anything too, too special, but he's going to be a rock-solid pro. I'm, pro- I'm, I'm going to have about a, an early second-round grade on him, and I could see him crack the first. I, I'd rather – I think I'd rather take Daxton Hill over him just because man-to-man coverage, he, he's on another level in my opinion. But, I mean, Scenes are a really good player, and I'll, I'll throw out – another winner in the secondary, and that's Keir Ellum. I wasn't expecting that 40-yard dash. He ran a 4-3-9, and I think that if you were to going into the combine, if you were to ask me what one player, it doesn't matter how much media buzz they have or anything, has the most riding on their 40-yard dash, it might have been him, honestly, because the main question for him was, does he have the long speed to track wide receivers? And, I mean, as, as scouts at the amateur level, we, we don't, we can't really assess long speed as well as NFL teams can with the plethora of all 22 tape that they have, because I mean, we get the TV angle where very often the quarterback, the cornerback isn't on the field or in the frame anymore by the time he's in the deep portion of the route. So it was reassuring to see him run a four, three, nine, and it makes me more confident in his abilities to carry vertical routes in the NFL. So, I mean, Elam, I was, on that round one, round two fringe with him, and he might end up on the on the better side of there. I think he's a, he's an underrated prospect who's not being talked enough. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that we were um, we had in our top twenty uh, before the season started. Mm-hmm. His name just seemed to kind of disappear for a while. I think you made a really good point about him, you know, or his his stock really riding on that forty time because, like you said, his deep speed getting beat deep was his biggest concern for me on tape. Um, and so, you know, obviously he showed that he has that speed. So maybe it comes down to some coaching points, some technique points that he can get fixed at the next level. So he has the speed. So now can, can he allow that speed to translate into better deep coverage? Yeah. Now I think a, a couple other winners going to the other side of the ball offensively, we saw the running backs fly, man. There were, there was a handful of running backs that went sub four, four, and two of those were guys who are going to be at the very top of running back boards. That's Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. I mean, Kenneth Walker, we knew he was fast in the 4-3-8. Proved that. What was important, though, was that he looked good catching the ball, and he didn't get many opportunities to do so at Michigan State. So it was important to see that. And Brees Hall, I heard he might surprise with his combine performance. He was incredible. He ran a, he ran a 4-3-9. He had a 40-inch vertical, which was the best of all running backs. And now they, they've got me rethinking my running back board because I had a Isaiah Spiller above them. Spiller chose not to run, which was a mistake. I think any prospect that chose not to run made a poor decision because 
with the new Surface. So this the, the, the new Surface got installed in the summer of 2020. So this is the first combine with last year's having been canceled with the new Surface. And we saw guys just go so fast. It's definitely a fast draft class, but I think the Surface helped them. And anyone like Spiller who chose not to run, not a great decision. And now you see Hall, Walker, great athletic testing. Walker showed the ability to catch the ball. Spiller didn't run, didn't look great in drills. And I, I might have to go back on, on those running backs and reconsider because the, the margin was thin. And I think what Walker showed in the pass catching drills could push him above Spiller for me. Yeah, I had uh, Walker as my RB1 going into the combine. And his performance really reassured me that, you know, I, I'm set on that decision for my RB1. I really like this tape. I don't have a first round grade on him just because he's not a, a game changer. And, you know, we know how the running back position has been devalued in the draft over the past few years, but I think he's a very good running back um, prospect. And so is Brees Hall. I think they're probably my running back one and running back two. Um, and Isaiah Spiller was was right behind them as my RB3. Um, but you alluded to the turf and how so many guys ran really well um, and were probably aided by that turf a little bit. But what about guys that, you know, ran slower than we expected and they were, mm -hmm. they were running on the same turf. So, you know, maybe a guy like Traylon Burks and David Bell, two wide receivers that we definitely expected to run faster. How do you think teams look at that now is they ran slow and they ran slow on faster turf? Yeah, I mean, that that's the other side of this is so many guys ran faster than expected, which makes the ones who didn't look a, a lot worse. I'm honestly puzzled by Burks' testing. I'm not going to let this change my mind on him. He's my wide receiver one. I think he has pro bowl potential in the NFL. He looked really good in his drills at his pro day today. He chose not to rerun the 40. So I think the fact is that, you know, that 40 time just isn't good with Burks. But, you know, you turn on the tape, you see what he can do at all three levels before the catch, after the catch. He, I mean, he's he's a big target. He's quick. He, he has route running potential. I think he needs to work on that, but he can definitely get there. And he's just an absolute monster after the catch. So I really like Burks. I, I think that it will hurt him, though. That's just the nature of it. Uh, he might slip to, towards the latter portion of round one. And I think David Bell got really, really hurt by his 40 time. I mean, we're talking the, the other slots that he lost slot receivers that he's competing with for draft position ran like 0 0.2, 0 0.3 even faster than him. I mean, Calvin Austin ran a 4-3-2. I, mean, you, you, I, I will have Bell ahead of Calvin Austin in on my draft board, but I don't think NFL teams are going to make that decision when they when they look at that 40 time. I mean, Bell is a, is a, is a try-hard receiver, great route runner, really, really good focus, really good at tracking the ball, locating it, great hands. I think he's going to be a, a steal but he's probably going to be a steal because he's going to fall all the way to round three. I, I just, I, I don't see him going that high with how poor of a performance he was, but I mean, don't get it wrong. He's still a really good football player and he's going to be a good receiver in the NFL. Yeah. I, I think you could argue that both of those guys looked faster than their 40 time on tape. And, you know, we talk about not to get too caught up when a guy runs a really fast 40, but they look a lot slower than, well, not a lot slower, but they look slower than their 40 time on tape. It's the same way. They might look faster than the 40 time on tape. And some guys just aren't great at that straight line speed, but, you know, moving around on a football field, it's a lot different for most positions. Um, I, I feel like David Bell might have a, a kind of Jarvis Landry situation where Landry had a really, really bad 40 and he fell mm -hmm. to. I can't remember if it was the end of round two or round three, uh, but he, he solely fell because of that 40 time. And, 
you know, the, the, the Dolphins and now the Browns have them, obviously, but the Dolphins had a really good pick in Jarvis Landry. Yeah, Landry had slipped to the end of the second round, and I think Bell could go even further than that. But I mean, we got to watch him in person this year when he came to our, our school at UConn, lit us up for three touchdowns. Uh, not, not, nothing crazy with, against one of the worst def- defenses in the FBS, but, I mean, he did that all year. And, you know, college rewards aren't that valuable, especially for, for NFL teams. They don't care that much. But this man won Big Ten Receiver of the Year ahead of Olave, Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jahan Dotson. So, I mean, that that go, that shows that he was an ultra-productive, good football player, and I think I think he will be in the NFL too. And now a, a couple other guys who, you know, maybe, maybe we knew Burks and Bell weren't going to light it up. I thought Devin Lloyd and Kyler Gordon were going to light it up. Gordon was presented as one of the elite testers projected as so, and I think the tape backed that up. I have a first-round grade on Gordon. I think he's, he's a really good player. But man, the 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 four five two the average numbers in, in the other testing areas were, were a surprise, and and Lloyd four six six in the forty really, and looked stiff in in the on field work. I I thought I was pretty surprised by those two players. I thought their athleticism on tape was a lot better than what we saw at the combine. Yeah, I mean Gordon was expected to, you know, be one of the one of the faster cornerbacks. Um, and that four, that four, five, two, just really disappointing. And I feel like he was kind of in the conversation in the back, back end of round one, and that could be a reason for him to fall into, uh, you know, the start of day two. And you mentioned Devin Lloyd again. That four, six, six was really disappointing for me. Again, I'm not going to let that forty time affect uh, my opinion of him and my my grade of him, but just disappointing uh, to see from Lloyd, who I thought was like you said, a really good athlete, um, and. You know, we've said with a couple of these guys now, he looks faster than that on film. Um, but, you know, with the rise of analytics now, a lot of, you know, scouts, personnel departments really like to see those times, those numbers, those measurements. Um, so I feel like, you know, Lloyd might fall down uh, draft boards a little bit because of that time. Another linebacker that might fall down draft boards a little bit is Nakobe Dean, and he's a linebacker that we both really like. Uh, he's my linebacker too, but he's right behind Devin Lloyd um, for me. But um, Bucky Brooks mentioned some some concerns about his size. He measured in at five foot eleven, and he just said that he looked really small uh, compared to all the other linebackers. And you know, teams like I just mentioned, like analytics, they like those those size numbers, those those height numbers, those weight numbers. And he's obviously not hitting them for NFL teams, and that could be a cause of concern. And you know, he might fall to the end of round one. And we, a lot of people in the, in the public like to bash NFL teams for having, having these thresholds for all the measurables, but I mean, it makes sense to some extent because you don't want to build, you don't want to build a team off exceptions that that's going to get you in trouble. Very often the guys who hit the height, weight, speed, length numbers are guys who are going to translate to the NFL. And you've got a lot of guys who don't hit those numbers that are really productive and good players in college. They don't man. They don't manage to do the same in the NFL. But I think you have to recognize when a, a guy's just an elite football player, and I think that's the case for Nicobe Dean. He was the heart and soul of 
one of the best defenses that we've ever seen in college football. That's what that Georgia defense was. I, I mean, we've talked about so many Georgia defenders. It was dominant on uh, as an overall unit, and it's going to have so many impact professionals. And just on a side note, that defensive line last year had Aziz Ojolari and Jermaine Johnson on it too. Just absolutely crazy. But, you know, who was behind them directing everything? As I said, Nicobe Dean, his read and reactability is tremendous. He's got one of the highest football IQs I've ever seen from a linebacker prospect. Great burst to be able to follow it. I, I have I have no questions about Nicobe Dean translating to the NFL. And I think him and Lloyd are both going to go in the 20s in, in the draft. And, and they're going to be steals. There's a lot of teams there that could use a linebacker. I mean, the Patriots at 21, the uh, Cowboys at, at 24. I know they got Parsons, but I, I keep thinking about the possibility of teaming up Parsons with Dean, where Dean's the, the one calling the shots, reading it, it, at middle linebacker, and you're letting Parsons wreak havoc. It, it's, it's a great idea. And then you, you, Packers at 28 is another option. So uh, these guys are going to go in the 20s, but they're, 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 I think they're both going to be pro ballers, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I have a, a you know, right outside the top 10 grade uh, for both of them. I think it's time now that we give a little bit of respect to a, a quarterback that, you know, maybe whose film is in our favor, and that would be Desmond Ritter. Um, he ran the fastest 40 out of the quarterbacks at a 4.49, and, you know, he showed off his athleticism. He had a really good workout. Um, his his throws, for the most part, looked really, really good, probably better than they look, you know, on, on game tape. And he interviewed really well with teams. Um, I think his leadership showed through those interviews. His football IQ showed. Um, and, yeah, he might not have the, the best tape that we like to see in terms of accuracy, maybe decision-making at times, but he does have all the raw traits. I mean, you have to give him that. He has the athleticism. He did show that he could sling the ball uh, in the workouts, and he obviously has a work ethic. He has experience, and he's he has shown improvement every single year at Cincinnati. So I just I felt like we, we need to give uh, Desmond Ritter some love. He hasn't been our favorite quarterback prospect, but he had a really good combine workout. His name is now being thrown into the end of the round one conversation. Um, and, you know, he, he won't have a round one grade from me, but I, I feel like we need to shed some light on Desmond Ritter. Yeah, I mean, everything we hear from him is positive. We hear that he's a tremendous leader. He was a four-year starter, a four-year winner, a great work ethic. He's interviewing really well, showing really good football IQ. And it makes you wonder, you know, that accuracy didn't wasn't good. The ball placement wasn't good. Through four years, it improved steadily, but just not to the point where you can be confident that he's going to be a franchise quarterback at the next level. But if you look, if you look at the finer details of it, it, it could be fixable. I know he throws with a, a, a wider base than he should. The, the, the motion's a little elongated. We know how hard he's going to work. Once you get him with the best coaches, you know, maybe there's something there. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back watch Ritter again. I I it's gonna be hard to move him up that much because I really I think it's a big leap of faith with him. I know I know that the character is terrific, but you're you're just you're projecting a lot, and I don't know if it has quite the upside of Malik Willis, for example. But you know, it, it makes sense why why you would take him over over Sam Howell who honestly regressed last year over Carson Strong, who it's seeming like it really hasn't interviewed that well in this process. And I think interviews are so important for quarterbacks. You need them to have a great presence, to, to, to come off really well as leaders, to have good football intelligence. And I I, I, I do look forward to, to analyzing him again because I don't want to get burned by a guy who has the traits, has the character, 
and has the intelligence. It reminds me of the Josh Allen, uh, you know, a, a few years ago now. And, you know, that was probably one of my first drafts, you know, getting really into scouting. And he had the traits. Obviously, he has a much bigger arm than Desmond Ritter does. He has the traits. He obviously had the work ethic. Um, and, you know, he just didn't have the accuracy uh, or the ability to, you know, put any touch on the ball. You'd see him whip the ball the guys five yards down the field. Um, but we saw with NFL coaching, he was able to fix that. And, you know, not every quarterback with poor accuracy is going to turn into Josh Allen. Um, I, I'd say that's more of an anomaly than anything. But it shows that it's possible with the right coaching, with a guy that has the work ethic. And, you know, Desmond Ritter has that. So I definitely, like you, have to go back and really watch the tape and see, you know, how much do I think this can be fixed? Um, but I think his, his grade for me is going to be limited by the fact of I don't know which team's going to pick him. He could go to a team that doesn't have a great supporting cast, not a great quarterback coach. He could go to, I don't know, what's a team that comes to mind? I would say the Saints, but Sean Payton is gone. Um, but he could go to a team with really good coaching and they could help develop him and he could be really good in a few years. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a lot of it is situation dependent. We know that with quarterbacks, but the, the point is that he he's doing everything right in this in this pre-draft process. I think Malik Willis is too, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Talon in the first round, either you know maybe the Lions making that pick or someone else trading in trying to get that fifth-year option, Ritter gets his name called, and we wouldn't have expected that two months ago. You know, I feel like Ritter makes a lot of sense for the Lions. He'd be able to sit. Um, and I feel like his mentality fits that Dan Campbell mentality. Obviously, like you said, he's a winner. He's an underdog. He's going to go put his head down and work. And I feel like that's what the Lions look for. So, I, you know, that would not shock me at 32. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, maybe they go quarterback at two. I mean, that's a conversation for later. And I think that hypothetical would be if Hutchinson's off the board at one, which, you know, could be trending that way. But Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's, it's been really fun recapping the combine. We could go on for hours. There's so many guys to talk about. Obviously, if you, if you want to look at all the results, there's there are a lot of guys who ran super fast 40s, for example, that we didn't talk about. We just thought we'd get more into some of the details of, of who helped themselves in other ways. And it, it's, it's been a fun time. So we'll, we'll see you again soon next week for another episode of the Bull Take Scouting Podcast.